Hello, and welcome to Morning Prayer at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Edison, New Jersey. I thank God that we are able to be together to start our day in prayer. This is Wednesday, and we're in the fifth week of the Easter season. Easter is not just one day, but a season that's made up of a week of weeks. This week, we continue our reading of the Acts of the Apostles. Please feel free to send me an email with any stories or insights or questions that might arise this week. You can send them to me at pastorjim2006 at icloud.com. And now we begin our prayer together in silence. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, O God, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Praise to the blessed and holy Trinity, to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, who gives life, salvation, and resurrection. Alleluia. The Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. O come, let us worship and praise. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before God's presence with thanksgiving and raise a loud shout to the Lord with psalms. For you, Lord, are a great God and a great ruler above all gods. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. In your hand are the caverns of the earth. The heights of the hills are yours also. The sea is yours, for you made it. In your hands have molded the dry land. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For the Lord is our God, and we are the people of God's pasture and the sheep of God's hand. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. You have been born anew through the abiding word of God. A reading from Acts, chapter 21. We had left them behind and had set sail. We made a straight course to Kos and went on the next day to Rhodes and from there to Patera. There we found a ship heading for Phoenicia and we got on board and set sail. We came in sight of Cyprus, passed it on our left side, sailed to Syria and arrived in Tyre, which was where the boat was going to unload its cargo. We found some disciples and stayed there a week, and they told Paul by the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. When our time there was up, we left and went on our way with everyone, women and children included, coming with us out of the city. We knelt down on the seashore and prayed. Then we said our farewells to one another. We got on the ship, and they returned home. The end of our voyage from Tyre saw us arrive at Ptolemaeus. There we greeted the Christians and stayed with them, and on the next day we left and went on to Caesarea and went into the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we'd been there several days, Agabus, the prophet, arrived from Jerusalem. He came to us, took Paul's girdle, and tied himself up with it hand and foot. This is what the Holy Spirit says, he declared. The Judeans in Jerusalem will tie up the man to whom this girdle belongs, just like this, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard that, we and the people of that place begged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. 
Then Paul responded, What are you doing with all this weeping, breaking my heart in pieces? I am quite prepared not only to be tied up, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When we realized we couldn't dissuade him, we gave up the attempt. May the Lord's will be done, was all we said. After those days, we made preparations to go up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and took us to the house of Nason an elder disciple from Cyprus. That was where we were going to be staying. When we came to Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters welcomed us gladly. On the next day, Paul went in with us to see James with all the elders present. He greeted them and laid out before them everything which God had done through his ministry among the Gentiles, telling it all step by step. They praised God when they heard it. You see, brother, they said, that there are many thousands of Jews who have believed. They are all of them fiercely enthusiastic for the law. But what they have heard about you is that you teach all the Jews who live among the nations to abandon Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children and not to keep the customs. Where does this leave us? They will certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men here who have taken a vow upon themselves. Join in with these men, purify yourself along with them, and pay the expenses for them as they have their heads shaved. That way, everyone will know that there is no truth in the accusations against you, but rather that you too are behaving as a law-observant Jew should. As for the Gentiles who have believed, we have written to them with our decision that they should keep themselves from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what is strangled, and from fornication. So Paul took these men, and the next day underwent the ritual of purification alongside them. He went into the temple and made the declaration, stating when the days of purification would be completed and when the time would come for the sacrifice to be offered for each of them. When the seven days were completed, some Jews from Asia spotted Paul in the temple. They gathered a crowd and grabbed him. Men of Israel, they yelled, come help us. This is the man who's been teaching everybody everywhere against our people, our law, and this place. And now, what's more, he's brought some Greeks into the temple, and he's defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with Paul in the city, and they thought Paul had taken him into the temple. The whole city was stirred up. The people rushed together from all around. They seized Paul and dragged him outside the temple, and the gates were shut at once. As they were trying to kill him, word reached the tribune of the guard that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. At once he took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. When the crowd saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. When the tribune came, they arrested him, ordered him to be bound with two chains, and asked who he was and what he had done. Some of the crowd said one thing, some said another. Since he couldn't find out what was really going on because of the uproar, he gave orders for Paul to be brought into the barracks. When they got to the steps, the pressure of the crowds was so strong that the soldiers had to carry Paul. The great mob of people was following and shouting, Kill him! Kill him! Kill him! As they were about to go into the barracks, Paul turned to the tribune. Am I allowed to say something to you? he asked. Well, replied the tribune, so you know some Greek, do you? 
Aren't you the Egyptian who raised a revolt some while back and led led those 4,000 assassins into the desert? Actually, replied Paul, I'm a Jew. I'm from Tarsus in Cilicia, and that's not an insignificant place to be a citizen of. Please, please, let me speak to the people. So he gave him permission. Paul stood on the steps and motioned with his hands to the people. When eventually there was silence, he spoke to them in Aramaic. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We meet two old friends this morning as we follow Paul back to Jerusalem. We're reunited with Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven deacons that were set aside to oversee the daily food distribution in the Jerusalem church. He's in Caesarea, where we left him the last time that we saw him, and now he has four grown daughters, prophets all. And what's amazing is, remember, Paul's connection to the seven and the stoning of Stephen, also one of the seven. And now, Philip welcomes Paul and his companions into his house and shows them hospitality. And Agabus, the prophet from Jerusalem, once again comes to visit. Earlier, Agabus had gone from Jerusalem to Antioch to foretell the faithful there of a famine that was going to come during the reign of Emperor Claudius. And now, in front of this crowd, he acts the binding of Paul when he is in Jerusalem. Agabus delivers by the Holy Spirit a powerful word about what awaits Paul, but he attaches no warning or instructions. Through the prophet, the Holy Spirit is telling Paul what he must suffer, as God had promised. As would be expected, his friends try to persuade Paul to stay away from Jerusalem and the trouble that awaits him there, but he is determined to give his life in witness to the name of Jesus, if that is what is required of him. He is convinced that he must go, even if that means that he is bound and arrested or worse. I wonder, what would you do? There would be no dishonor, of course, in refusing to go up to Jerusalem. Everyone agreed that his life is in danger. His friends are begging him not to go. And he has dodged life-threatening plots before. What do you think he has to gain by going up to Jerusalem? What does Paul see that everyone else cannot? Or what is Paul trusting that the Holy Spirit will make clear and apparent to everyone? Of course, all that had been predicted does come to pass. A riot breaks out in the temple courtyard. Paul is seized by a mob, thrown into the outer court, and a mob starts to beat him. If it were not for the quick intervention of the cohort of Roman soldiers in the fortress that is attached to the temple, Paul would have died right there in the outer court. What fired up the crowd? The rumors that he had traveled throughout the world, teaching people to forsake the law of Moses and the traditions of the elders, that he had brought one of these Gentile converts into the inner court of the temple, such an action punishable by death, that he had spoken against the temple. Once again, very similar to the charges brought against Stephen before his stoning. And yet we must wonder if Paul's heart is also breaking. He of all people knows and understands their zealous, patriotic, and righteous indignation. He knows what it means to fight against the way. He knows what it's like to fight against God and his anointed. He knows what it's right to be wrong. 
And now Paul himself suffers at their hands as Stephen suffered at his hands, but only Paul's life is now spared. And then, beaten and bruised, Paul appeals to address once more his country people in their own language. What do you say to your own people after they throw you out of your God's temple and slam the door behind you? What do you say to your people when they try to beat you to death? What can you say? What would you say? What would you give for the people you love so much to finally see and believe what you have been shown and come to believe with all your heart, your mind, and your soul by the grace of God through the Holy Spirit? What can you say but the words that the Holy Spirit puts in your mouth so that whatever you do or whatever you say, you speak and bear witness to the power of Jesus' name. Amen. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. Blessed are you, Lord, the God of Israel. You have come to your people and set them free. You have raised up for us a mighty Savior, born of the house of your servant David. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. Through your holy prophets you promised of old to save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us, to show mercy to our forebears and to remember your holy covenant. This was the oath you swore to our father Abraham, to set free from the hands of our enemies, free to worship you without fear, holy and righteous before you all the days of our life. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way, to give God's people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us, to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Mighty God of mercy, we thank you for the resurrection dawn, bringing the glory of our risen Lord who makes every day new. Especially today, we thank you for the sustaining goodness of your creation, for the rain that waters the earth, and for water that brings things to life. For the new creation in Christ and all the gifts of healing and forgiveness that you bring. For the gifts of relationship with others. For the communion of faith in your church. For what else are we thankful? Merciful God of might, renew this weary world. Heal the hurts of all your children and bring about your peace for all in Christ Jesus, the living Lord. Especially we pray. For those who need to hear the good news of your gospel, who need their hearts turned and changed so that they might believe and trust in you and find life. For those who govern the nations of the world, for people in countries that are ravaged by strife and warfare, for all who work for peace and international harmony, for all who strive to save the earth from carelessness and destruction, 
for all who suffer sickness and disease and for those who care for them with love and compassion and for the Church of Jesus Christ in every land. For who else and for what else do we pray this morning? Almighty and everlasting God, you have brought us in safety to this new day. Preserve us with your mighty power that we may not fall into sin nor be overcome in adversity. In all we do, direct us to the fulfilling of your purpose through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.